Let's start with this. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Oh, for a, let's just pause. Oh, do we realize when we sing, who is listening to us? Do we realize when we pray about the situations we face, do we realize that it's God Almighty who is listening and leaning in right now? I mean, we could all go home right there and live in that truth. But then it goes on to say that you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with your whole heart, that's when God will release his greatness. If there's a secret sauce to life, it's seeking God first. And as we launch this year with our prayer focus, Seek First, we launch so strongly with prayer in our house, 21 days of prayer. And the reason why so much joy is being experienced, I'm convinced, is because of so many people who are seeking God wholeheartedly. Thank you so much, church, for seeking God wholeheartedly. For the 7 a.m. prayer crew, you know who you are. Thank you for the life group leaders in our house who open up their homes every week. For the kids workers, come on, can we give them a shout of praise here right now? We're serving our children. I came early this morning and our worship team was here an hour before I was. Come on, give it up for all our production team and our worship team and our dancers. So many people in our house seeking God first. And of course, that's what Jesus said in Matthew, that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all things will be given to us. And we rejoice that we have a God who sees all of our practical needs. Not just our spiritual needs, but our practical needs. And so today, we're just not trying to get money from people because we know that God has everything that he already needs. In fact, if we didn't have the vision offering today, I'm sure that God would still provide. But he's allowing us to enter into the joy of giving with him for our sakes. Because God has a plan for you that involves your finances and your marriages and your families and your sacrifice. And that plan means it's gonna be hard work sometimes. It's gonna be hard work to pray and to decide and to bring that offering into the house of God. But when you do that, God sees that and God releases joy and hope to you because, because we're gonna celebrate some amazing things today. We're gonna celebrate how far we've come. And I wanted us to look as we do that at the life of Elisha. I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. I wanna focus on the life and legacy of Elisha because Elijah represents someone in scripture that is so incredible. He was a man who inherited so much. He inherited what previous generations had done and, and he was a man of the spirit and he set up God's kingdom for success into the future. So I wanna draw three keys to focus our giving today and I'll start by reading this passage. I'm gonna read about six verses. You can follow along with me on the screen behind me. I'm starting in verse 14. Now Elijah had been suffering. Everyone say suffering. suffering. See, suffering and pain are in the Bible. But we don't stop there. We keep moving. He was suffering from the illness from which he died. And Johahash, huh, what a great name, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. And he said this, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Note that. We'll come back to it in a minute. 
And then Elijah said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands. And he said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. And Elijah declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. And Elijah told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have kept striking the ground five or six times. Then you would have completely defeated Aram and completely destroyed it, but now you will only defeat it three times. And Elijah died and was buried. Stop there. As I look at this story, there's a sense of sadness as Elijah finished his life and was dead and buried. But there's so much potential in the bones of Elisha. There's so much hope contained within a mortal body. So much more than Elijah could have ever imagined. And these three keys that I'm going to start with, the very first one, you can see this key so clearly when the king of Israel, he came to Elijah towards his last days and he said this to Elijah as he wept. He said, my father, my father, he cried, the chariots of horsemen of Israel. Now that's a direct reference to how Elijah started in his ministry. He started by serving Elijah, who had been caught up to the heavens. He had been caught up to the heavens and literally disappeared before his eyes. And in that reference towards the end of his life, I believe that that king of Israel wanted Elijah to remember how far he'd come. And that's my first point. Remember how far you've come. Do you know how far you've come in your marriage and in your life and how far you progressed you see, often we're, we struggle, we suffer, we're in pain because we're not yet where we want to be. We look at our society, we look at our families, we look at our neighborhoods, we look at our region, and it's not where we wanted it to be by this stage in our life. And that can bring depression. That can bring a sense of, God, where are you in the midst of all this? And so it was like, stop, stop, in your suffering and in your pain, Elisha, Remember the miracles. Remember the people. Remember how far you've come. I want you to stop on this Vision Sunday, and this is your homework, and to reflect and think, thank God that you are not where you were last year at this time. Thank God for that. And listen to this. This is what we're celebrating. As a church, we thank God for this last 12 months. And last year when we began, we prayed we decided and we thought as we updated our mission statement to seek God that more people would come to Christ and find belonging in the house and become all that they could be. Well, since then, 641 people have come to know the Lord because of you, church, because of your giving, because of your financial. Come on, is that the best you can do? I mean, this is salvation. This is so good. I mean, this is so good. I mean, if you know someone that got saved last year, that, that's something to celebrate. 92 water baptisms. In our kids' church, we had 156 salvations just in our kids' church that are not added into the total of salvations. In our growth track, 96 people across our campuses and over 10,000 meals served to the poor and to the needy in our communities. And we're rejoicing in this in each and every campus 
in our Leeds campus, in our Belfast campus, in our Warsaw campus, and right here in Bradford. Oh, we're so grateful for what God has done. In our Warsaw campus, in a place where there's been so much pain, where, where literally millions of Jews were, were, were killed terribly in World War II, and this sense of depression is over the community, we there have an expression of live church that is bringing life to a generation. And we promised you last year that we would open a new hub so that we could have alpha courses and worship rehearsals and that we could then start youth meetings and invest in the next generation. Well, we've done it, church. We now have a hub in Warsaw. It's up and running. Magic and Eager, our campus pastors, are doing a great job right there. In our Belfast campus, where there's been so much hatred between the Protestant and Catholics and so much infighting in that wider community, we trusted God and we prayed and we, we believed that we would be able to invest in leadership from, from our house that would have the DNA and the heart of Life Church. We promised you that last year. Well, huge win for us in Belfast. Liam and Natalie Gordon, our campus pastors there, are doing a tremendous job. And we're seeing early beginnings now of the grace of God being more evident on our campus there. Very exciting. Very full of hope and promise for our future. That's been hard work that we've now been able to take a, a new stand on. Excited about that. And then on our Leeds campus, we prayed and we trusted God that somewhere in that city center, we would find a campus, and we've looked in every single venue. Our campus pastors there, Dave and Abbs are doing a great job, had looked in every hotel, every arena, every theater that you can imagine, and we had a miracle church, and we opened our Leeds Hub campus in September, October last year, and you can see the picture of the exterior. People right there now worshiping together in Leeds, now well over 600 people in our Leeds campus, and just rejoicing what God is doing in that great city of Leeds. By the way, they said that Leeds was the graveyard of churches. That you could never have a church in Leeds. Well, they don't under, people who said that, they don't know that Jesus, he specializes in resurrection. <laughs> so that Leeds camp is going strong. Well, what about Bradford? Yeah. Come on. on Bradford, we promised you, church, that we would, we would invest in leadership in this house, and we would... We would invest in our family experience. We have just the very best campus pastors, Jock and Shirley James. Could you stand up for us, guys? We love them so much, just doing an exceptional job on this campus. And even this last week with the life groups that started, with the marriage course that started, and you're beginning to see the work in the foyer now. You saw our coffee shop that's now in the foyer. And we have so many more plans that we're developing. Very excited about the future of all that as we move the coffee shop down and open all that up. My goodness, get ready because there's gonna be some construction work here on the campus over the summer period in September and we'll try to minimize that as we then build out all that space. We wanna invest more in our kids' church and we're drawing up plans for all of that now for a physical building. We'll talk more about that in our future. But I'm saying all that because when you remember how far we've come, when you remember the grace of God, that, that by his grace we are here. That we should never feel entitled or that we should never take for granted the sacrifices of the generations that went before us. Of the seed that had been sown in this great church called Life Church that really don't have anything to do with us but all to do with the generations who are now part of that cloud of witnesses that are up there saying, come on, Life Church. And that brings me to my next point. And again, this is found in 
2 Kings. When Elisha says this, he says, get a bow, king of Israel, and take some arrows. And he did so, and he took the bow in his hands. And he said to the king of Israel, when he, after he had taken the bow, that Elisha put his hands on the hands of the king. My second point is this. Realize that God is with you right now. Do you know that his hand is on your hand? I mean, come on, this is so much better than that Avengers movie, Endgame. Come on, somebody. You see all those superheroes and all that daft, whatever they're thinking about. I don't want to diss Avengers and all the rest of it, but this crazy stuff with the guy who can shoot bone arrows and Dr. Weirdo, strange guy, and all that stuff is all a figment of people's imagination, and it's fantasy, and it's cool to watch, okay? But, but this is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a fantasy here. I'm not talking about a supernatural thing that we can't understand. I'm talking about something very present and powerful. God's hand is on your life. And that's so powerful. And you might be here today and you might think, I only have a little bit of water, and Shaw preached so well about that last week. I only have just a little bit of water, that's, that's all I have. Yeah, but God's hand is on that little bit of your water, of your finance. You might only be able to give 50 pounds. Don't tell yourself that's not enough. Don't, don't, don't allow an enemy to tell you that I'm only given a few pounds, I really don't have the skills. No, remember, realize God's with you right now. Do you have an awareness of the presence of God right now? Maybe you're in a place where you, you are now uh, responsible for millions and millions of pounds because of the grace of God that he's given you. Well, the Bible's so clear that we command. The Bible says literally command. I didn't say this. This is in the Bible. The Apostle Paul and Charlotte referred to it earlier that we should be commanded to be generous. To be generous with what we have. To come with open hands and give what we have. And it's our joy to give. But when you understand that God's hand is on our, on our hand, after you give, when an enemy comes, because he always does, when an enemy comes and tells you, you didn't give enough, or why did you do that, now you can't pay the gas bill, or now the car needs a service, now the washing machine needs replacing, and those, those thoughts and fears, and they come rumbling back, oh, if I didn't give that money, I could have saved it and banked it, and now I could use it for the things that I need. Now remember that God's hand is on your hand, and when God's hand is on your hand, then it's up to you to slap the hand of the enemy. It's like when God's hand is on your hand, you slap that enemy's hand. Don't listen to his, his bad language over your life. I remember how far we've come, church. Literally, we have come out of some terrible financial mess. But we're not there today. We're praising God that he's bringing us through into a spacious place. And we praise God for that. God knows what we've been through. God knows what we've conquered. And some of you know what it's like to face financial pressure and stress and anxiety. And when you don't know where the amount is coming from, I want to remind you that God is still with you. If you still have breath in your lungs, there's hope for your tomorrow. And that may not resonate with some of you. You might think, really, that, that doesn't resonate with me because, because you're so aware of the depression and the anxiety that you're in. And I believe that's why you need the physical touch sometimes of a life group, of a prayer partner, of a person. If we stop right now, Life Church doesn't continue to exist anymore. There would be an outcry in families 
from the broken and from the poor, from the thousands who are expecting us to feed them this week on our four campuses. People will be so broken because there is no practical outworking of a spiritual God that we serve. You and I, we are the people that touch people's lives in ways that I could never describe it on a platform. Oh, we could have brought people up today and said, a cancer's been healed because that's happened in our house. We could have brought people up on the platform and said, God's done incredible things, but I don't want to manipulate people in giving. We don't want to arm twist people and make them feel all emotional and, and all teary and then give what they shouldn't. No, what we're appealing for is a spiritual maturity so that people would be aware of where your finances are, but also aware of where God's at. Where is God? I mean, he's here. He's in you. It's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. I mean, while we're doing this, leads me to my third point, and this is so clear. When he, when he realizes, when that king realizes that Elijah's hand is on his hand, his instruction is to shoot the arrow. But before he has to shoot the arrow, he has to open the window. My third point is this. It's time for you to raise your expectation. You see, when he had to face an outlook east, which way is east, somebody? Can anybody point to where east is? Rich Martin, you have no idea where east is. Stop trying to pretend like you have no idea. It's that way. See, I'm, I'm all confused because that's my west right now. I say, why east? Why did he have to open an east window? I mean, I'm the guy who has to get my compass app out in my phone and go, which way is north? Anybody do that? And it's like, I mean, this is the king. So undoubtedly, he had windows all over his place. There were windows on every level, on every floor, and probably just not little windows. We're talking about big picture windows and, and big expansive areas. And, and for some reason... Elisha commanded him, look east. Well, why east? Well, east was because that's where his enemy lived. That was where the enemy was located. Aram was located to the east. That's, that's, where, they were, that's where they were built in. That's where, they were, that's where they had their bunkers in. That's where it was impenetrable for anyone to go and conquer Aram. That, that's, that was it. And so when he had to look, he had to do a physical action. He couldn't just look out the window and take his bow. No, first... He had to get his hands on the window. Now, this is a king. He probably didn't even open windows. He probably had people and servants in attendance to open windows for him. But sometimes you have to be personally connected. And so he had to physically put his hands on the window and raise it up. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I used to have a window in my house, and I would try to raise it up, and as soon as I took my hands off, it would crash down again. It was a broken window. And he raised it up, and this window stayed in place. And then he had to get the bow, and then he had to take aim. But he had to raise that expectation. And then he took that arrow. I mean, come on, this is better than that Avengers bow and arrow guy. Come on, somebody. What's his name? Hawkeye. I don't even know. At any rate, one eye, I don't know. At any rate, took his bow. By the way, why is he so supernatural anyways? He can't do anything supernatural. He's just got a good aim. Anyway, that's another story for another day. But, but he takes this this arrow and he pulls it back with all of his strength and he shoots the arrow and it flies over Aram and then the prophet shouts it's the arrow of victory and then of course the second part was he needed to keep striking 
the ground. I don't know if pulling the bow back and shooting the arrow exhausted him. I don't know if it was the one shot, the strength expended, the, the stamina that, that he had to just rip out and his muscles to be able to shoot that one arrow, or if it was the spinning around and getting down and striking the, the ground, but he did not have the stamina to go another round. He did not have the strength to imagine a better future. And as I think about that arrow that shot, I think about the house here and all of our campuses, and I think that uh, today, there's gonna be a lot of arrows shot out in the sky today. There's gonna be a lot of arrows flying. Every family in the house, every young person, every person who's single, every single mother, every single dad in the house, you're about to shoot an arrow. And as you shoot that arrow, let's do what Elijah really instructed us to do. Think about your enemy as you shoot it. And what's interesting is he didn't shoot at the enemy. He shot over their heads. Because when you and I, we give financially and we put that hand into the hand of Jesus, our expectations are raised. When I think about expectations, I think about words like elevated, created, expanded, lifted, beyond all possibility and imagination. Can you imagine a, a greater future for yourself or for this house or for your, your family? Well, well, that's what was happening. And then of course, after that arrow shot, it's up to God to take care of that arrow that we give. But the humanity part, the part that you and I have to do is that we have to turn around and we keep striking the ground. Well, maybe we won't see a financial breakthrough in the next week. And maybe next week we have to give again through our offerings and tithes. Are we gonna stop then? Or are we gonna strike the ground again? What about the month after? What about the year after? What about looking after the poor in good old BD3 in our community? Will we see revival after the third strike? I don't know. But how about today we determine to keep striking the ground every week? Maybe we won't see revival at youth next Friday night. Well, how about a youth group that understands? We just need to strike the ground again. Maybe we'll graduate from our local schools and universities without having seen the breakthroughs yet that God promised. Well, what do we do? Do we get discouraged or do we keep striking the ground? Well, that's what Elisha was saying. Because he stopped striking the ground, the miracle was never, be, was never fully manifested. And it's like, it's up to us. Are we gonna settle with a blessing that we can understand and contain within our own family? Are we gonna settle with just a little bit? Or are we gonna press on to be a debt-free church on every campus? Are we gonna press on to build things and release buildings and hire kids pastors and do the things that God has put on our heart to do? I said, God, not us. We're not doing this for us. Oh, church, you need to know that there are a lot of beautiful places to live in the world. We could all go live on a beach somewhere. <laughs> we could just take a permanent vacation, come on. And we could just say, oh, this Christianity stuff is just too hard. Or we could realize this simple fact. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God working through us and through our church and through our house so the next generation can be set up. And it's in that place that I understand now the raising of our expectations is a dangerous place to live. Because when you start to raise your expectations, it's so easy to be disappointed. It's so easy to realize, well, I shot my arrow. That's it, that's all the strength I've got. And I believe that's why you need to be deeply encouraged. 
641 salvations because you're here today, striking the ground again. You've not given up. You've not left the church. You're still committed. You're still believing. We're applauding you. We're applauding your faith and your courage. When Joshua went through that place of the new emerging land, it was this phrase that the Holy Spirit told him, be strong, full of courage. Well, if it's ever a time to be full of courage, it's right now. And I want to say, keep striking. Be full of courage. Don't quit. God is with us. So I'm reminding you of how far you've come. I'm asking you to realize that God's hand is on your life. And then finally, this appeal. Can we raise our expectations together as a house? God knew he'd put us in the north of England. He knew that. He knew he'd place us here in a place where so many people think, can anything good come out of Bradford, out of Yorkshire? God knew that. And God placing us here shows us that he knows what he's doing because this light, this life church shines brighter in the darkness because of its location. And out of this house comes an incredible searchlight that says Jesus is our Lord and Savior and he is gonna do so much more through our lives and through our house than we could ever imagine.